everyone. Welcome to the Locomotive Podcast, a space for local art and culture in open conversation. You're listening to our very first episode where we learn the ins and outs of public art. Whether you recognize it or not, public art is part of our everyday lives. It's all around us. As art lovers or artists yourselves, have you ever wondered what the story is behind creations such as the Gilgal Gardens and the International Peace Gardens? Today we talk to Renato Almedo Gonzalez who's the public art program manager for the Salt Lake City Public Art Program. And we pick his brain on what it means to create public art and how interested artists can become involved themselves. This was our first interview. Yeah, it was, and it was super fun. Yeah, we had a really good time with Renato. It helps that Renato's kind of a friend of ours and a colleague within the arts that we've worked with in the past. Yeah, well, you have. I don't know that I have. I don't know that I have. (laughs) (laughs) But I do know Renato from the scene. I I suppose. And um, it's been, yeah, I guess I have interviewed him before uh, when he was on board for MICA, which is uh, the Mestizo Institute of Culture and Arts. Um, And that's how I met him. So from there, yeah, we were able to build a professional relationship. Um, And yeah, it was really fun to talk to him and pick his brain on public art. What do you think stood out the most of our conversation, from our conversation? Um, I think it was just great to get a face to public art um, and be able to talk to somebody who's clearly so enthusiastic about making it happen and everything that goes into it. Before meeting him, I kind of imagined it as I didn't imagine that there would be someone so warm and welcoming behind it, which I don't know why. I think that that's (laughs) part of maybe what was useful for me here is just realizing that there's somebody who's very passionate about it behind this. Did you imagine someone like Edna Mode or something? <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what I was imagining. I, I guess more bureaucratic. Yeah, it was really nice to sit with him and be able to kind of realistically talk about some frustrations within uh, public art. Not necessarily frustrations, but some... Just the realities. Yeah, the realities of it. And um, to be able to look at it from a standpoint of practicality, too, which I feel like is something that goes over everyone's head when um, thinking about something that could be manifested and created from like the the point of an idea to the actualization of it especially when it's a piece of art that is you know has to weather the public mm-hmm. and the weather <laughs> yeah that was another thing too all the considerations that they have to make for something to be accepted into the public arts program I really liked how knowledgeable he was about projects that he didn't have uh, input in. Like, for example, Gilgal Gardens and the fish outside of Copper Onion. Um, I liked that he knew the stories behind these pieces without having been part of it himself, which shows how passionate he is about public art in general. Yeah, it felt like he took his perceptions of those things that had been created long ago and is bringing that into his work now. Well, we hope that you enjoy our interview with Renato, and we'll see you again at, during our critical discussion portion. See you then. So, we have Renato here, Renato Almedo Gonzalez. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. You're just back from Vegas. Back from Vegas. You had the Vegas tan going The on. Vegas tan. It was really cold, actually. It was mm. cold and rainy, uh, but it's such a fun place. Mm. What so was your favorite part? One well, of my favorite part, I loved Fremont Street. That was great. I did go to the Lisa Vanderpump 
uh, Paris oh my God. Mm-hmm. restaurants. So if you're a Housewives fan, it was better than I expected. Mm. So I expected to pay a lot of money for like really bad food, but yeah. it was actually okay. What'd you order? It was all cheese. My cocktail <laughs> was like all cheese. My cocktail was like some coconut purple thing. And then there was like a cheese tower. So instead of a charcuterie, you get like a bird cage with like levels of cheese. And then there was like a salad with cheese on it. And then <clears throat> if you watch Vanderpump, so Stasi, who's one of the original Vanderpump cast members, was obsessed with the goat cheese balls that they will sell at Sir. So I think every Lisa Vanderpump restaurant has like a variation of the goat cheese balls. And they were pretty good. It was like goat cheese, but deep breaded and deep fried. I'm very impressed that you're remembering the names of all the restaurants you went to. I feel like every time I go to Vegas, I'm just like, I don't know. Everybody had the same carpet. Yeah. I I love a meal. So that's like what I do when I go out of town. Mm. I just love food. Yeah. And that's why you're in public art. I guess, yeah. (laughs) So let's tell our listeners um, what you do. Introduce yourself. Perfect. So my name is Renato Almeda Gonzalez. My pronouns are he, him, his, él. You know, Mm -hmm. I speak Spanish, so I always um, do the él. I'm an immigrant from Mexico, born and raised in Guadalajara, Jalisco. Second biggest city in Mexico, super fun. Everybody should go there. Um, And I moved here when I was 15. Wow. Kind of got into the arts by accident. Mm. I always say that. Um, I needed a art credit to graduate from school, okay. from Taylorsville High. That's where I went to high school. And I hated making, th- doing things with my hands. Like, I've never been good at fixing things. Like, even changing a light bulb is an ordeal. I have to look up YouTube videos to, like, use a drill. <laughs> like, it's bad. So, my... This is a bigger issue than <laughs> oh, class. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a big issue. So my counselor was like, oh, you like reading and history? And I was like, yeah, I love that. He was like, you should take our history. And then I took our history, and here we are. (laughs) But (laughs) I graduated to public art. art. Yeah, I went to school at the U. I graduated in art history and Latin American studies. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to do marketing at the beginning. That's what I, like, first went into. But then I kept going back to art Uh, when I was in college, I got involved with Artes de Mexico in Utah, which is a local organization. They promote Mexican art. And it happened to be right at the same time where they were starting. So it, it lined up really well because I was working in a nonprofit that was pretty much learned. Like we were learning how to do things. So I feel like all my skills when it comes to like from marketing to PR and project management, working with artists, working with educators, like all of those skills that, you know, you learn on a job. I learned it working with artists while a student. Mm. So it was very good because then it started sparking my interests Mm. more. So I started to like pick my art history classes in a very specific way. Like I wanted to learn more about Mexican art, uh, Latin American art, uh, U.S. Latino art. And yeah, I graduated in 2014 and then I actually left the art world for a bit um, I went to the consulate of Mexico in Salt Lake City I did community affairs for three years but then they kept calling me back and I wanted to do it back so then um, then I worked out at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts for two, almost three years and then I started as the public art program manager for the Salt Lake City Arts Council in April 2021 so it's going to be two years oh, wow. Wow. this April it's crazy like time flew by 
that's a very robust art, art career. What do you think pulled <laughs> you back every time? You tried to escape, and it just grabbed I, you by the collar. I actually didn't want to escape. Um, I'm not an artist, which I always tell that to people. I think I'm creative, and, you know, I have, like, an eye, um, and I know things, but I'm not an artist. So what kept driving me back is when I actually went to the consulate, I consciously didn't want to do... I didn't want to work in cultural affairs or, 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 or art in general. I wanted to expand my skill Why set. Why not? I think that's... Because I, I wanted to expand my skill set, and mm-hmm. I wanted to work with the job I was offered was working with immigrant communities so it's a lot of like community organizing and it went from like every level like going to like living rooms of you know migrant families telling them about you know basic know your rights to you know going with my boss to meet like the governor or some important political figure and that taught me a lot and it also I wanted to work for government like that was something that I, I was interested in like policy government how does that work so Mexico, the country, you know, the consulate, when they offered that position, I was like, okay, actually, I think I'll do this. So it was fun. I mm-hmm. loved it. But I was at the consulate when Trump rose to power. So I was there from 2015 to 2018. So mm-hmm. I kind of was there for like when things were going and that took a toll on me. Yeah. Like it was, it was hard. So there was a moment where I had learned everything from that job and I stepped away and, and, and went back into the arts. So when I started looking for a job, I knew I wanted it to be in the cultural field, in the arts field, nonprofit work, because um, I was comfortable with it and I knew the skills. And when I went into the Arts Council, it was a good combination of government work, but also doing something with the arts. Wow. And that's what happened. <laughs> So exactly what is your role within the Salt Lake City Public Art Program? So I oversee the public art program. The public art program, what we do is we commission artists to essentially beautify our city, Mm -hmm. make us think, uh, poke questions, um, create work. So we're actually commissioning artists. We give them, um, there is a, I can talk a little bit more about the public art program, but my role specifically is leading, acting as lead curator for all the public art projects in the city. So anything from drafting a call for artists, um, researching what kind of projects we need to do or what projects could work, working with different city departments and identifying which sites are eligible for public art or which sites within the city be a street, a park, um, where they're located, who uses those types of spaces, um, assessing whether they're eligible for public art, Mm -hmm. um, working closely with the Art Design Board. That's the Citizen Advisory Committee that selects the artists, excuse me, that selects the artists uh, and makes a recommendation to the mayor for commission, Uh, doing all the contracting process. uh, And essentially, once we have an artist, once we have a site, overseeing the fabrication of the artwork and the commission itself, the installation. So it's pretty cool because you start with a really small idea Mm -hmm. or really small, you start with a site, essentially. You start with like, okay, here is this roundabout, here is this corner, what could work here? And then taking them all the way to installing an artwork and possibly and many times like radically changing the space Mm -hmm. and how people interact with it. Mm -hmm. So it's super fun. That sounds fun. It's fun. So 
my first question is uh, public art can be used as a vehicle for many things. And you know this, you know, public and political propaganda, uh, commemoration of an individual or an event or to express a community's ethos. How does our city make use of public art outside of beautification? I mean, it's many things. I think public art has the tremendous potential of building community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I, the way I've worked throughout my career and then and, and the way that I would love public art to be is that it's rooting community somehow, that it speaks to someone that um, asks questions of mm-hmm. a community, like public art can do that, ask really tough questions or hold up a mirror. That's um, a saying that you often um, hear. Um, another thing that's, I think, exciting is the history of our city. We're a relatively new place, you know, like Salt Lake City is not that old of a city, but we have a really interesting history mm-hmm. as a place. And the peoples that have come here, that converge here, bring a lot. And some public art projects can really talk about this history. Uh, Where or are some examples? Some examples are, and I, actually I was going to, to give you one. We commissioned uh, eight artists to create designs that will be adapted into neon signs. So create designs that fit within a circle that will be adapted into neon that will be placed on State Street. So between 600 South and about 750 South, uh, what we wanted to do is play with light. So mm-hmm. use neon and light as a medium, as an artistic medium, because the history of State Street. There's so many signs on that street. You drive up and down. And we were talking about Vegas. Vegas is, um, that's something you identified. And I think that's something super unique that you also identified with State Street. So we wanted to do that. And we also wanted to make a project in which we provide the infrastructure but allow artists without previous public art experience. It's a hard field to break into um, to be able to get a commission. And the winning uh, or the commissioned artists, the winning artists, they all spoke about State Street in very interesting ways. They were either memories, they wanted to commemorate something that they had growing up, Valerie Jar was one of the artists um, we commissioned, and she talked about going to get dim sum with her family every weekend and driving down down to State Street. So her design is super clever. It's very it's just a, an image of dim sum. Um, there are some other artists that talk about just the contemporary culture on State Street, a lot of tattoo shops, uh, low riders, the cars. Uh, someone, Emma Ryder, did actually a design that it's, it's just a bull, an ox car. It's an ox uh, with a U-turn sign because oh. State Street is so wide that you needed to... It's so wide because you needed to make a full U-turn on an ox car. Oh. And it's super clever. It's a very simple design, you know, just an ox with a U-turn arrow behind it. <laughs> uh, but that talks about that history. So I love that kind of... Pro- I mean, I love all of our projects. Duh. But that one, um, I think that one brought me a lot of joy because the art that we saw was super interesting and very site-specific too. But it's also connected to a person and a memory or something that inspires them or maybe they're just really good at drawing um, something simple that fits within a circle. But the, the, the selected designs were actually pretty clever and uh, site-specific, which I think public art is always about the site. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so that kind of leads me into the same, the next question. Mm-hmm. That's You kind of answered that, but what are some notable examples of successful Salt Lake City public art program p- 
pieces. Pieces. Yeah, I think, I mean, all of them are, of course. They're all important. They're They're all important. No, but I think if I think about our program, obviously everybody thinks about Out of the Blue, which is the giant whale on 9th, South, and 11th East. Enough with that whale. Right? (laughs) No, I think it's, it's 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 an awesome piece. But others that I think are so... There is one that like really stands out to me, and it's I always I have such good memories of it. There's three examples. The first one is Gilgal Gardens. Mm. It's so kooky. <laughs> it's so. When was that established? Oh, Gilgal. So the history of it, I don't know it. Um, it was made privately. So Gilgal. Yeah, I, under- I didn't understand that that was a public art piece. Yeah. So Thomas Child, I think that was his name. Um, it was just a sort of like a sculptor, but very much not officially, I guess I would say. Um, So he made this on his own. And then the property ended up being passed on to like a neighbor that bought it. And I think there were like open tours, but only on Sundays. And then eventually a development, I think, tried to get in there. Mm-hmm. And then the neighbors sort of got together and they were like, no, let's save we Gilgal Gardens, this. we need to protect this. And then yeah. eventually was passed on to the city, so now it's a public um, public park. But it's such a kooky place. I mean, it's it talks about our history as a mm-hmm. state, but it's also like you have to understand Utah to be able to understand what's going on there. It has there. a specific audience, definitely. But if you go and you have no idea... Anything about Utah, it's still such a kooky place. There's like arms coming out of the floor. There's hearts. There's the guy with the brick pants that everyone talks mm-hmm. about. Yeah, since since we are talking about it, do you mind describing what it is a little bit? Yeah, Gilgal Garden. So it is a tiny, tiny pocket park. It's uh, half a block away from Trolley Square. And it is located, it's like, I think, 500 South, I believe. Yeah, 500 south and between 7th and 8th east. So it's going to be on the north side of the street. Tiny pocket park. You may miss it. If you don't know that Gilgal's there, like you really... I've never seen it. Could miss it. Really? Oh, you I've should go. I've lived here go. for 10 years. I've never seen it. so fun. <laughs> we'll go it's after this. such a weird place. <laughs> uh, and then you walk in and it's a tiny garden, but there's a lot of sculptures that talk about the mysticism and iconography of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. Uh, the most... Famous one in there is a sphinx. So imagine like a, the sphinx in Las Vegas that I just saw this last weekend at the Luxor Hotel where I stayed. You were possessed by Las Vegas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the face of it is Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Smith has a really interesting face because he has such a big nose. Mm-hmm. Or at least the paintings we see. So I think like you can like always spot it. Then there's like a little pavilion next to it. I mean, you can walk around the place in like two minutes. It's so small. But there is a, I think that's a self-portrait of the sculpture, but he's wearing pants and his pants are made of bricks. And then there is a bunch of other things that are more specific to, I believe, very specific passages of uh, the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's hearts, there's hands coming out of the ground, but it's actually very aesthetically pleasing and very well placed and everything. So that one's really fun. Uh, another one is the Peace Gardens. Mm-hmm. I love the Peace I Gardens. I love the Peace Gardens. <laughs> the Peace yeah. Gardens. And it's also a very weird place. Like you go in and there is all these gardens with a country. And, you know, there's the U.S., Italy, um, Wales. 
Everybody's represented. Friends, like everybody. <laughs> and then, you know, I think we need, um, I always hear from people, like, we need more, we need more gardens. But the more you walk around it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's so weird. It's every, and the gardens are really pretty, you know, like they're the florist there, Charlene, uh, we work with her on some stuff that she really loves those gardens, takes care of them. They're beautiful. You stroll around. They're peaceful too. But then there's like a tiny little Eiffel statue, Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and then you walk around and then there's like an Olmec head. And then you go to the Japanese gardens and they're all so different. So I love that place too. I love, I would love to know the decision making behind the representation of each country uh-huh. because Italy is just like a slope. <laughs> and it's just Italy. Yes. <laughs> it's just the words Italy and their flag. But it's 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 mosaic. I love, like, every time I go there, like, actually, I've, I've seen Italy. Because the first time I went, I was like, well, why is this just the boot just there? <laughs> but then if you look at it, it's actually like a little mosaic of the country. Oh. So there is, like, there is like okay. craft and skill that went into it, you know? Because it's, it's not a printout. It's not, you know, like, or even paint. It's actually... A giant puzzle that someone put together hmm. that says Italy at the bottom with the boot and everything. But you know, it's it's a lot of it. Um, I think was citizen driven, mm-hmm. you know. So all the artworks in there. So it makes me think of like the communities, the immigrant communities in many instances that mm. like put it all together. Um, I think it's fascinating. I love the Peace Gardens. The first time I went there, I was skipping school in high school. <laughs> Not taking my art history class, probably. <laughs> but I remember being like, what is this place? It's so weird. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. And then the third one that I really love uh, in our collection, and I think a lot of people remember or know about it, is a sculpture. It's named Asteroid Landing Softly by Kasuo Matsubashi. Matsubayashi, sorry. And it's um, right in the middle of the Gallivan Center. So there is a huge pillar with a rock on top. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I haven't thought about this in forever. <laughs> yeah, I know. So the first time I thought about it, I was at a Twilight concert series in high school. And my friend, because they used to get so crowded, like in the late 2000s. And my friend is like, all right, our safe spot where we're going to meet is the rock. And I'm like, what rock are you talking about? <laughs> and it was that piece. And <clears throat> actually preparing for this, I read about it. And it was super interesting because that sculpture is actually a sundial. It's actually two sundials in one. And oh. I tried to understand it, but it's very, very complicated. Like, just the science and the thought that went into how it's placed and how the light should align. But it's also a uh, common... Is it complicated to read? or It's not complicated to read. I think there is... Um, what the artist did was playing with the idea of real time. So what time is it right now? It's, you know, 6.30. And that's because humans made this up. (laughs) Like time is human made up. But then a sundial is different because that really is where your position and where the sun is. So that's the solar time, right? So what the artist is trying to juxtapose is the idea of both Mm -hmm. and what's real and what is not. So that's why there's two clocks. There's There's two two clocks. Measurements. But regardless of the clock... It's a beautiful piece because it's super modern and it's like very big and tall and, you know, like kind of blends in with like the, the skyscrapers around it and like the reflection of it with just a, a beautifully placed rock on top uh, that talks about Utah, you know, because it's a red rock. 
So I love that one for the history of, not the history of it, my memory of it, meeting at the rock, but also the more you look at it, it's, it's a beautifully made piece. Aesthetically, it's very beautiful and, and pleasing, mm-hmm. and it makes you look up too. And mm-hmm. I love that about that piece that like when you're at it, you may see the sculpture and then you look up and there's a giant red rock just balancing there. Like, it, you know, you feel like it's going to fall. Um, that's just three examples. I don't know. Do you want more? No, those are really, it's like you prepared. <laughs> it's like this is your job. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know much of the specific history of um, Gail Gal, but I think I, I have the spark notes. It's good. Yeah, I've never thought about the the history of those pieces and, or even considering them as like a public art piece that has been curated by the city or yeah. whether or not it, it already existed and then was protected or something that was curated specifically, specifically for that spot. Specifically for it. I think um, the one of the Gallivan was curated for that spot, but the other two perhaps were not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's also what's interesting about public art. It's that it may be something that the community, you know, rallied around and then they wanted to preserve like Gilgal or the Peace Gardens or it can be something else or it can be the golden calf in the Bible, you know? <laughs> I feel like that gets into our next question, which is like, what are the, what determines whether or not something gets sanctioned as public art? Because we were talking earlier about how museums are similar. I mean, mm-hmm. in a museum, a museum's curating, like within this physical space, this mm-hmm. is what the art is and this is what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a city, it's, you're, you're kind of doing the same thing where you're curating and commissioning, mm-hmm. um, but the boundaries are way wider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want to ask you, what's the value of the distinction between um, essentially like vandalism and public art? Where's that line between something being considered like this is worth preserving, this is worth saving, this is worth... Um, the government or the city saying mm-hmm. this is something and what is something that is just like beautiful but doesn't have that sanction. I, I mean, that's a that's a complicated question, but I think a lot of, and I don't know if I have the right answer, but I'm thinking of how a society values and perceives art and as something that's worth preserving or as something that's worth celebrating or something that is worth um, taking care of. So I think that's that's a I think that's a really interesting question because you know like one of the biggest debates is, is graffiti public art, mm-hmm. you know, and the, we can go into a one hour conversation about whether it is whether it's not. But I I think a lot of it has to do with the community around it and how they mm-hmm. take care of it, how they view their own space and their urban landscape. Um, a lot of things that. Or some of the projects that we do, or public art in general, you may not think of them as public art just because they're so well integrated into the landscape, Mm. or you may not think about them. But some of my favorite pieces are actually little surprises that you may find um, in parks and whatever that... um, The Gateway actually has been doing quite a a lot of public art projects, and one of the ones, a lot of them are really obvious, you know, murals. Mm. But they had little figurines going up the stairs to the uh, movie theater over there. Mm. So they're just on the side. So you kind of will miss it if you're not looking around. But I think it's such a clever way of, you know, working with the landscape and working with um, the space. Um, But going back to that perception, I I mean, it's it's a complicated question. I don't know if we have, I have the answers. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does boil down to, I think it's it's people and how 
they interact with the space, how they um, interact with the with the landscape, how, and their own perceptions of art too. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what the whale uh, out of the loop sort of like took took us back to basics in many terms, because part of our effort was educating the public about art and the nature of it, and you know why it's worth investing in artists, but also investing in cities, investing in, in the urban landscape. So, I mean, that's a, I hope, a good answer, but that's where my mind went first. Thank you. Um, it's a complicated question, mm-hmm. yeah. I know that it, it is definitely sensitive to what's happening politically mm-hmm. at that time, what's happening within the community, what is needed from the community. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, public art, again, it's it can be used um, to express the ethos of that community. Totally. So it is... It is complicated, but I was really curious to see what you're, what, we were curious to see what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's always about learning, too. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have, the, I don't have all the answers, you know, and it's, it's part of, that's part of the process and part of figuring out what works best for a side or what artwork should we invest in. It's, it's, it's asking. And I think that's why I like working in, in with artists, because mm-hmm. they're good at that. They're good at making you question important things. Or even things that you have never questioned, they will do it. Um, how a roundabout looks and what should be in a roundabout type of question. And I think that's, I th- that's what excites me, honestly. Because it's a growing city and it's all lake and in general and just public art in general is always changing too. Yeah. I think I, I love that answer because um, I feel like public space is like more to premium these days like we don't have as many public spaces i feel like as we used to i mean like the gateway is an interesting example where there's been like revitalization there Mm -hmm. and that like when it opened in the 2000s that was like wow this is like walkable outside shared public space um so i love the idea of public art being like a way to invigorate people's desire to engage in public space and, and to um, serve as like a monument or a validation of people's use of it as as a public space. Yeah, I think especially in Salt Lake City, um, I remember when I moved here in 2006, the only thing we that was here was the mall in front of the temple that was like essentially a gift store for the temple. Yeah. Um, and it's been very interesting to watch the city grow exponentially, mm-hmm. but also seeing the way that public art has kind of blossomed and bloomed bloomed blossomed both both, both. it's oh, both. a fun it's word it's versatile yeah what a fun word <laughs> um it with, alongside the the growth of salt lake city and it, you know it, it not only speaks to kind of the way that it, salt lake has grown as like a metropolis or whatever but um the different communities that have come and, yeah. and thrived within it um to make it such a stronger and more versatile more <laughs> Uh, yeah, just stronger in the diversity, I guess. I'll use. And it's such a fun city, mm-hmm. you know. I think Salt Lake is such an interesting place. I think our community of artists is really interesting. There's everything you can think of. Um, um, you know, we have represented, like, our local community of artists. It's it's super talented. But also, like, the history. I've always been fascinated by, the, by how Salt Lake City is, exists and, and within the context of the West – you know, like, and I'm doing air quotes, um, <laughs> the context of the West, the context, you know, I'm from Mexico, like Utah was once part of Mexico. 
<laughs> politically and legally. Um, but how, f and, and then I think the other thing too is um, the, the history of the Mormon church and how it's impacted um, pretty much everything that we are, the world we live in. I think it's, 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 it's super interesting because there's no other city like it in the U.S. You know, it's, it's a very specific context that we're existing in here in Salt Lake. And I think that's fascinating. I could probably do a PhD on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because it's such a new city too, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we're at the cusp of being able to watch it become like a bigger city mm -hmm. in, in, in our nation, not mm -hmm. just the city for the Mormons or mm -hmm. whatever, how it's been perceived for since its establishment. Um, but going back to the use of public art, mm -hmm. public art gets deployed in a lot of ways for like social change, for free speech when other avenues are closed off. Is that a consideration that you and the city make when thinking about what public art to produce? Yeah, all the time. I mean, <laughs> um, unfortunately or fortunately, a lot of our projects are driven by the budget. So, you know, the city gives us a budget or we have a budget that's been established by ordinance. And, you know, a lot of the times our budget is going to dictate what kind of public art we do. Then that's my job, you know, to get creative and be like, what can we do, you know, with our limited funds and, and expand it? But we're always thinking of, um, I think, and I go back to the same thing, it's the site. Like, what site are we working with? What could work there? Um, can we tap on onto histories? Can we tap on onto... Um, is there something that the community wants or needs or uh, would like to see? It's a delicate balance that we do because we commission artists or the, pub, the, the, the public art program commissions artists. Um, and everybody will have an opinion. Yeah. And with art, you also deal with the opinion of aesthetics. You know, people, some people don't like red. <laughs> and what if the sculpture is red? Mm -hmm. Some people don't like blue. And what if the sculpture is blue? Or some people are afraid of that dancing fish that's outside of <laughs> Copper Common. Um, <laughs> you, have you seen it? It's so fun. Uh, oh, it's one of my favorites. Is it the favorites. one that spins around? It doesn't. It looks like it will spin. But it's just a fish with a top hat. It looks like it's dancing. I've never I noticed this. I feel so like kooky. it's the kind of thing that you would. We would be besties, me and that yeah. fish. It's outside <laughs> of uh, Copper Common and the what's it called, the Solid Film Society. Uh, it's super fun. We're always there. I can't believe. Yeah, never just look that. up. It's in the median. But anyways, <laughs> that was like you were saying that there's still gonna be little pockets of things that you just wouldn't notice. You wouldn't notice, and then you know what? Some people do notice it, and it becomes part of their life. <laughs> you know, and be, oh, it's like, oh, we're so going to become part of yours. I got divorced because of that <laughs> dancing fish. <laughs> but we, we're playing a very delicate, going back to the question, it's, it's, it's not a delicate balance, but we do have to balance many things. Mm -hmm. And part of it is what's going on, what's the context, what's our budget, um, is this site appropriate for public art? You know, like, it's, um, whatever we put here, is it going to be safe? Is it going to be secured? Um, wow. is it going to get vandalized? Um, is it high? I'm thinking all like the more I've been in this job, I think like a lawyer. <laughs> Cause I'm like, okay, That's how, fine. how is the city, you know, like, is this a liability yeah. essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, what if a kid climbs on it? Yeah. It, like, will it topple? So, you know, like I kick things sometimes when I decide visits <laughs> to be like, okay, is it stable? Is it safe? <laughs> so we have to think about many, many things. The weather is a huge thing here in Salt Lake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, just because we have such harsh weather, 
that we have to make sure that the piece is appropriate for the weather. So it's a combination of, of multiple things, but every project is different too. So it makes my job hard, but also very interesting because we're thinking of, you know, not two projects are alike. Earlier, we mentioned that it is comparable, the curation of uh, public art and the curation of art in a museum. And I would like to retract to that. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> because it's obviously not the same. There are yeah. so, it's so much more complicated. Yeah. And I think about our experience in curating stories for like a magazine and having to think about who is going to consume this, who's going to feel the way about this, how are... You know, and it's just like when you're producing something that is going to be a physical structure in a city mm. that needs, you know, has thousands and thousands of people yeah. cross it. Yeah, how and it's everyone too. It yeah how yeah considering the consequences of of you know all of that consumption mm -hmm. from the public um, sounds so exhausting and so <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> it's you know it's it's I think when you look at it in like strictly curatorial terms, what you're doing, what, this is one of the best uh, um, analogies I've been giving is that when you're curating, you're essentially writing a book. Hmm. And each piece or each component of the book um, is a piece. It's a piece of art. So they all have to tell a story. And I think with public art, it goes to the whole book is all the things I just talked about. You know, it's the weather, the safety, um, but, you know, we don't do it, we don't work in a vacuum. I, I, we don't work alone. We have the Art Design Board, which established by ordinance is seven um, members um, in the arts community and community members that have certain levels of expertise. Um, not all of them work in the arts, but all of them do understand the value of public art. Um, so the Art Design Board, like, helps guide those decisions. And with formal public art programs here in the United States, at least... Um, we have a very established process in how things will happen. So things go, most of our projects go through open calls for artists. The Art Design Board and us reviewed them, vet them. Uh, we make a short list. We discuss their work. If we're assessing their qualifications, have they done something um, like this for the site? So that's where the curation goes. You know, you have mm -hmm. to think about what they're proposing. When they propose, when, you know, when a finalist presents a proposal we have to be thinking about in terms of security aesthetics of course like how is it gonna fit is it gonna is it gonna be a good fit for the environment um etc 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 so there's so many checks in that process mm -hmm. that it really doesn't happen in a vacuum you know we don't go in and be like all right this place is getting a dancing fish just because we want it <laughs> Like, it doesn't happen that way. It's funny because you would look at that and think, yeah, someone just woke up and decided that that needs to happen. Who thought of that? Someone chose fucking violence today. <laughs> I'm glad I thought of that, dancing fish. Was that your idea? No. No, it precedes my time, but it's such a kooky piece. It's so weird. Yeah, we got to check that out. It's so weird. I think what I'm really interested in is, like, the mechanics of all how all this happens. Mm -hmm. um, which is probably too much for us to answer right now. Yeah. But so you were mentioning that there's a call for submissions, but yeah. say, and you, but we also talked about like Gilgal Gardens and people coming together and saying this is something we want to preserve. So, just from like the beginning level, how do people? How does public art get um, made and produced? Like, 
is it possible for an artist to approach the city and say, I would like to do this? Or is it only like an open call for submissions? What happens there? So I think that's an interesting question. When it comes to our program specifically, um, you know, we're given our budget by the city um, through the CIP um, percent for art. It's 1.5% of all projects. I know that's very technical, but that's how it works. Um, we do our call for artists. So it, it kind of goes through that process that I just described. Now, let's say someone is a muralist and they're like, I would love to do a mural. I won't charge. I will do it for free. I get that phone call all the time. You know, people calling and be like, I would love to do a public art project. And, you know, I want to get to know them and then ask some very technical questions like, have you done one before? What kind of materials are you using? You know, like just very technical when it comes to like art making. And then a lot of the times if they're looking for a wall, unfortunately, we don't have a formal mural program here in, in, Salt, Lake, in Salt Lake City Arts Council or public art program. Mm -hmm. There's others. So, you know, that my job there is connect them with resources, mm -hmm. essentially. So it can be as basic as I send you like a 101 how to break it into public art. Or if they know what's going on, uh, they have an idea of where they would like to place things. A lot of the times um, we have connections with either businesses because we work within the economic development department. And I've seen a few murals happen where I'm like, hey, colleagues in the department, there's an artist that's looking to put a mural. Do you know any businesses that want one? And, you know, it happens outside of our program, but, you know, it's still public art. Yeah. And it's yeah. still happening. Uh, like Roots Art Collective? Yes. They're muralists, right? Yeah. So, like, that would be an example of someone getting in touch either with you or maybe with like a private business and just establishing that connection and then the business gets it approved by the city to have that art made? Or? So it's, um, yes, and I have a, an announcement about Roots Art Collective, okay. but um, there is a sign ordinance. All I tell people, like a technical thing, and this is for murals only. If yeah. you wanted to donate a sculpture to the city, there is a mechanism for that and it will go through the art design board and it could become part of our public art collection. Um, but it also goes through the public art process in which it has to be discussed in an open meeting. Um, the art design board members talk about it. We have to, you know, get an assessment on the piece, its value, its maintenance, how much is it going to cost for us to install it, take care of it, etc. So going back to the sign ordinance, it's very simple sign ordinance. Even if you Google sign ordinance, Salt Lake City, you'll find it. There's a very specific set of rules that says that a mural cannot have, um, it pretty much cannot be an advertisement. So as long as it's not an advertisement, it's okay. Interesting. But be mindful because there are some businesses that want to put, you know, I don't know, name a restaurant, <laughs> Cafe Rio, like outside. <laughs> and if it's outside, then that's considered a sign, mm. not a mural. Wow. That, well, so yeah, the distinction between a sign and a mural. So that got bureaucratic in one sec. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, is there another place? Well, what's a good place for artists to go to if they would like to learn how to get involved? I think our Instagram page is probably the best, easiest resource just because, you know, you're on your phone all day. You might mm -hmm. as well give us a follow. SLC underscore public art program. But also our website. That's, you know, our official. That's where our collection is. We have an interactive map that you can use. Uh, we post all of our calls, even old ones in there oh, so if you're looking to get into public art and you're like how do they do it one advice i always give is take a look at the call that's close you know you read the rules and everything and then take a look at what got finished and then you know 
put two and two together and <laughs> and not not in terms of like what they should make but like start thinking of how to write your applications how to do your portfolio what are they asking for what do they end up with you know like thinking about those sort of like deconstructing it in a way yeah. um and all of our meetings are public so if you don't want to go you don't have to go, but you can listen to them online. And in some of them, we discuss the artworks. Uh, we discuss who gets selected. So it's really interesting. And, and some artists do that, you know, when they go back or they call for feedback. Um, they're public meetings. Go listen to it. And if your work got discussed, like learn, you can wow. listen to the actual All the resources audio. are really there for you to be mm-hmm. able to um, re- reestablish how you're going to approach things. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and keep really trying. Helpful. I think that's mm-hmm. the other thing. Public art, unfortunately, um, it's a hard field to break into because you have to have so much technical knowledge than all artists have. So keep trying because mm-hmm. I think that's as, as harsh or it's, you know, it could be disappointed to get a rejection. But once you break in, just the nature of the cycle is you'll have that experience. That'll be considered... Uh, and there's so many public art programs all throughout. You know, the county has one, Salt Lake County, the state of Utah, um, in other cities. So the state of Utah actually publishes a really good list of opportunities in or near Utah for artists. So I don't do it because they do it, so I send people there. Mm-hmm. But all of these things are on our website. You can always write to us a message. Um, if you apply for a call and you want feedback on your application, if we have it or if it was discussed, you know, I'll be happy to talk to artists or listen to the meetings, read, I think, our previous calls. That helps, you know, inform how an artwork ended up looking and how, um, what they were asking for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's interesting. Well, we have to end, but yeah. I do, do want to, something that you said was just like the retrying and the rejection. I feel like that's such a just, part of being an artist in mm-hmm. any capacity that you are like in submitting even to like a zine or trying to be part of an art show submitting to a gallery having to advocate for yourself and mm-hmm. pitch yourself yeah, is hard. really a huge hurdle that a lot of artists face um and oftentimes can't get past that like yeah. that's the part that you can't i agree so we're hopefully gonna it's practice and i think an artist you know for a lot of artists art comes naturally you know, for them to develop a body of work. Um, But, you know, an artist, unfortunately, sometimes have to be incredible writers and they have to have graphic design skills and they have to be accountants, you know, all these things. But it's it's practice. And I think applying to public art projects, especially like requests for qualifications, could help you hone those skills. Once I was given the advice, I never followed it, but it's to apply for a job every year. Um, Really? And and the reason why that I was given that it's so you practice mm-hmm. and you see what's out there mm-hmm. and you get Everybody's to going up. what who's going up and maybe they'll you know it's not in terms of like getting a new job but like putting yourself out there mm-hmm. honing those interview skills like all these different things keeps you sharp yeah and I think the same could apply too this is why I download Tinder once a month and just <laughs> <laughs> go back out there and just yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, full circle. No. <laughs> well, Renato, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Thank today. you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, this was so great. Thank and so we're so happy to have you as our first thank you. guest. Thank you. So, each week after our main interview, we're going to try and do a critical discussion. 
during an interview, you're in the moment. It's hard to hone in on everything that's happening that's interesting, um, even if you're listening really well. This is an opportunity for us to consider what we've learned and digest a little bit. Listening back to that conversation, there were a lot of things that stood out to us. We talked a lot about public art that already is, that's already sanctioned by the, the government, by the city. I think we're also wondering what pieces of art are out there that probably deserve some sort of designation that maybe aren't that well known, but that, you know, do exist. What are those and is it worth protecting? Yeah, because we did talk about the distinction, you know, between public art and an advertisement and the sign. And we did ask Renato about the distinction between vandalism and public art. And it's kind of a gray area, it's what we learned. And it's kind of a difficult question to answer. So I think the only thing we can do as people that want to protect a piece of art is basically rally around it and see if we can get that protection for that piece i think there's a lot of stuff that doesn't get designation or probably you know never would get designation of of public art but that you know when he was talking about public art is something that like reflects people's values and the history i think about on 300 south all those rows of shops that were turned into condos that's not public art but it is something that I feel like means something to me in the same way that public art does if we're talking about it in that way of like being a reflection of what we care about and it's a bummer that that stuff is gone and that there's no way to protect that part of the city yeah unless the building is deemed like a historical building that can't be yeah taken down and that makes me kind of curious about maybe for a future episode maybe talking about historical building designations yeah I like that because there's so much stuff that's leaving and it sucks. It's really tragic. Another idea for a future show that we that spawned from this conversation was public art in other cities, but also not only just the obvious ones like Chicago's Bean or the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you think of that one as a public art. I mean, it, it, it is. Well, it is. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure it probably is designated that way. It's just... Well, it's more, it's that's like, more of a landmark. No. Well, maybe that's interesting. Land. The distinction between a landmark and a, a and public, public art, art piece. piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the one, it does kind of make me curious, like, what those really obvious um, big things, like the St. Louis Arch or something, are those considered public art or is that something different? But in that same vein, what are some pieces that everyone overlooks? For example, like Salt Lake City's Dancing Fish. (laughs) (laughs) We, as people who have lived here for at least 10 years or so, have never noticed that. Um, What are some pieces that are totally overlooked in cities all around the country that maybe deserve some attention? So we're thinking maybe going, we are planning a trip to Chicago soon. Maybe going there and finding some stories and some pieces that we can shed light on. I, in talking to Renato, I feel like I realized there's so many little things. You know, there's the big public art pieces, and then there are the smaller ones, like the Dancing Frog, that I think, or, you know, like Gilgal Gardens. Um, so both big and small, that I feel like really reflect the time and history of the place. Um, and like Renato said, we're such a unique place in terms of our history. So what could you learn about a place just from gleaning things from its public art? We were also talking about in the interview the considerations for making public art versus a museum. 
I feel like it's interesting to think about them in terms of sanctioning bodies. It's like you were saying yesterday about a museum creating the space and deeming it as art. Do you want to expand on that point? (laughs) (laughs) I still don't really know what I think about that because I think there is like an interesting, I think it's interesting to think about a museum versus a city as two, two different curating organizations um, and with different powers of like sanctioning what can and can't be. But there's just so many different considerations for public art to um, be able to come into fruition. So I think there's a very different calculus that's happening there, um, clearly from talking to Renato, but I don't know. I still think there's something worth investigating about thinking uh, about like who has the power to um, sanction what we can and can't hold on to, which I think kind of dovetails a little bit with our earlier comments about the idea of stuff in the city disappearing that it's not art, but it is important to us in the way that art tends to be. And there's a, a governing body who gets to decide that. And it's not, you know, even though Renato and the, the public arts program is like a very, a lot more of like a warm and welcoming presence and not so bureaucratic, it is still bureaucratic. Like that was another point that he made is that a sign and a mural, <laughs> those are two different things. I could see someone feeling like something that is designated as a sign is just as worthy of being preserved as something that's designated as a mural. But I don't know. Again, that gets into like, not even bureaucratic, but just technical artist stuff that I have no idea about. Sounds like there's a lot of room for drama. <laughs> I I really like the imagining um, protesting against the, the dancing fish. Uh, I think that's my favorite part of the episode was that dancing fish mm-hmm. mention. Yeah, that's really changed my life. <laughs> and we saw it. We did. We did finally see it. It was it's pretty beautiful. cool. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that I noticed it now. He has a top hat and a little stick thing. I don't mm-hmm. know, the cane, I guess, is what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> harmless, harmless guy. <laughs> I don't trust him still. But yeah, I think there's probably lots of art like that in our city and in other cities that just, you know, like for us, that's something that we've passed by so many times, but we just don't look up. It's like 10 feet out of view. If we just craned our necks, we'd see it. I think the last thing I thought, listening back to that, if is that if I were an artist, I would definitely take advantage of the resources that Renato was laying out, like looking at the prior calls and seeing like what worked, what didn't. That sounds mm-hmm. like a great resource as an artist. And also just to try, you know, maybe speaking with the public arts program and talking about like, what would this take? Even if, you know, again, I'm not an artist, but it seems like it would be a prudent thing to do because it would really help you see how you measure up to like what the requirement for this like career path would be um which also he talked about public artists as though it is a career path which is not really something that i had the way that i had conceptualized it like i had thought of it as you know an artist might do a one-off public art piece but you know the way he talked about it made it sound like they're artists whose work is like they do public art. Their business is like making sure that they meet those specifications and are able to to do that. So it would be interesting to talk to somebody who's who is in that realm and like focuses on making public art pieces. Yeah, so that brings us to our next point. We are still looking for story ideas and because of this episode Obviously, we mentioned a few that we'd like to explore in the future, maybe even doing an episode on graffiti and talking to a graffiti artist 
or talking to a public art artist, a professional public official public art artist. But we're also open to many other story ideas that you feel like we should explore and expand on. And if you have any of those ideas, please reach out to us at localmotive.podcast.com. Sorry, localmotivepodcast.com. We have a little form that you can fill out. Our email is locomotivesslc at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Our direct email is locomotivesslc at gmail.com. So you reach out to us there. We're hungry. <laughs> uh we have an instagram what's that locomotive podcast locomotive podcast on instagram um i'm glad that this was our first step like renata was our first interview because i feel like we really got a good perspective from somebody who's like helping facilitate a lot of this stuff going forward i'll be really interested to talk to more just like artists who aren't in positions of power like quite like that just people who are just making art mm-hmm. but it was nice to start from this perspective all right, thank you so much for listening to our first episode. Yeah, Every thank you. episode comes out Friday morning, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. Thank you.